I can also convey to you that the Secretary also conveyed to civil rights leaders earlier this morning that we would no longer be using horses in Del Rio. Uh, so that is something, a policy change that has been made. In Democrats are set to take control of the U.S. Senate, House, and the White House. This will go down as one of the most progressive administrations in American history. God willing, everything is on the table. You now can pass things without a filibuster threat. That's right. Oh, you'll regret this, and you may regret it a lot sooner than you think. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this... The last Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Ruthless Variety Program. Today, I am joined by my host, Michael Duncan. Hello. And very special host, Hollywood Hen. Hey, guys. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> yeah. Hollywood Hen's here. This is going to be an exciting episode. Very uh, excited. Mr. Holmes is unable to join us today. Hollywood Hen is, you know, graciously stepping in and uh, and being a, a member of the program yeah, today. Yeah, that's right. Picking oh, up the slack so, here, Holmes. So thoughtful. So thoughtful. <laughs> also, we have Jane Timken here today. She's running for U.S. Senate in Ohio. Great interview. Better stick around for that. So, solid lineup. We should get right into the thick of it. With well, yeah, that so, intro. I mean, right. So, number one, number one, uh, they're basically banning horses at the border here. Insane. Now, you are famously anti-horse. In in some ways. In some ways. Okay. I mean, in, well, how do you square that circle here? I thought you'd be cheering. Well, now, now you're for them. I yeah. mean, I, I I think I could take an average horse one on one. I'm not saying horses are evil. You okay. know, necessarily. I think there's a lot of bad apples. I think they're <laughs> prima donnas. They're, they're a lot of work to take care of. But I think, you know, it might be ha- a good idea to have some at the border. I mean, it, it seems like it would make sense. And the way that they created this fake controversy, all made up, all made up. They're like, oh, my gosh, they're out there whipping folks. The photograph, the photographer himself says, no, that's absolute falsehood. Right. No the actual photographer who, who takes the photo, you know, that they're saying proves that these border patrol agents are whipping migrants says no that's not what we saw and yeah. the video is different too it, the video that they have showing it from a different angle you can tell he's not whipping anybody totally. of course and yeah. we said and we said this from the very beginning all it does is reinforce what you've previously previously said smug which is that whole you know Jesse Kelly green sky theory which is that you know yep. if if the right libs came out and said the sky is green suddenly you'd have videos from all these celebrities saying you know, the sky is green. And then the I love media, our green sky. Right. And then the fact checkers would come out and say, um, this lacks context. It is possible that the sky is, in fact, green. And that's what we're witnessing right now. We're actually going to ban horses based on something that's already been debunked. It's crazy. It's incredible. It, it, it takes, like, now for the libs, less than, like, 48 hours for this absolute disinformation tweet to become official White House policy. Well, you actually have to kind of respect the commitment to the bit. You know what I mean? Like they, <laughs> that they will literally base their entire policy on something that's been shown to be misinformation and everyone just kind of moves on. Yeah, it's like uh, Ron Klain's on Twitter. He's like, okay, wait, guys. Okay, we're going to the Oval Office. Someone just tweeted there's whips at the border. <laughs> we're going to turn this into policy. Yeah, yeah. Get the policy wonks in here. We got to change stuff. Yeah, it's really refreshing. They said, the, you know, the adults are back in control and here you go. They're just actual... White House policy. The first time they actually have any kind of policy for addressing the border. It's not about, you know, Biden and the Democrats during their primary essentially inviting, you know, illegal immigration to the country. And when they were interviewed, uh, they said, yeah, uh, you know, Biden told us to come. So that's why we're here. You've got you had thousands and thousands of folks. It was it was a humanitarian crisis, essentially a slum under uh, uh, an overpass. No policy is being put into effect. White House isn't doing anything about it. 
But someone creates a story about a horse and 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 migrants being whipped. Oh, now the White House has a policy. To put well, out you there. know what's absolutely incredible is you may recall from the spring, um, we had everyone in the media saying, "Oh, well, you know, this is just seasonal, and the spring is when these caravans come." And re- you also remember that back in 2018, when the caravans were coming, they said the caravans were fake. Yep, they weren't real. Gosh, Republicans yes. were just you know it's drumming it up. Yeah, right. It's a great pull. Right. So first, the caravans were fake. Right. And now the caravans are only seasonal. And now the New York Post has an article that says. Um, that migrants entering Panama went from an average of 800 in January to 30,000 in August. Yeah. Word huh. Got word got out. And then, like, <laughs> That's a long season. And then you heard the stories about how, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of the Haitians that the, the Border Patrol can't handle that. And the policy the White House said is, okay, just, just release them into the United States. Just release them. So what message does that send to the, like, 30,000 that are making their way through? Okay, great. We're on, we're on the right track. Oh. We're on the right track. Just terrible. I stand with the horses. They did nothing wrong. Horses did nothing wrong. Wow. Well, flip flopper over there. <laughs> yeah, quite quite a reverse from smug. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can give some of those migrants some tips on how to take down a horse. Amazing. <laughs> uh, today's episode today is sponsored by Common Sense Leadership Fund. They're mobilizing folks against the $3.5 trillion spending boondoggle yes. the Democrats are trying to get past this week. Uh, you know, as, as part of their efforts to pay for this $3.5 trillion, um, they want a new 95% tax on prescription drugs. And they want to basically wow. institute a European-style price control system for pharmaceuticals. Um, this tax will invariably be passed on to consumers, obviously, or these manufacturers will just stop making these prescriptions and outsource all their production to China, which, you know, seems like a bad idea. The one thing we learned from COVID. Right. You would think we, so. We, we want to make our own our own drugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Yeah. And Thanks like the, the way that supply chain has been just in complete disarray because we're so dependent on on imports. This is their takeaway. This is this is the Dems approach to build back better. Obviously. Right. Well, they don't want to get in any of the nitty gritty details here of their plan for a reason. Right. Yeah. Because they want to say this bill is free. Of course, it's not. Nothing's free. <laughs> the net result will be higher taxes for everyone. And fewer options and more reliance on communist China. Yeah. And, like, and here's the, here's, like the, deal. here's the thing that, that's really incredible about it when you think about it is like in the United States, we, we thanks to Donald Trump and, and Operation, what is it, Smug? Lightspeed. It's Warp Speed. Warp speed. <laughs> he never gets it. Got me. It is Warp Speed. Thanks to Warp Speed and President Trump, we have three vaccines like produced here. Right? Record, we got Moderna, J and J, Pfizer, right? Mm-hmm. And now we're going to turn around. The Biden administration is going to turn around and say, "Hey, thanks for producing those vaccines, those life-saving vaccines. Hey, we're going to make it impossible for you to do all of this production here. You're going to have to outsource more to China. That's that's the lesson we've learned from COVID. Incredible. Is like the place that gave us the virus. Like we're going to reward them. It's <laughs> just like everything they do is wrong and backwards. And, and none of it makes sense. And ever. that segs absolutely perfectly into the absolute mess going on in Capitol Hill right now. Oh, my God. There's so much going on. It is. I, I, mean, I had to sit down and have like a, a very long discussion with numerous educated people. Well, that's right, because you because don't we know you don't read. Yeah, I don't read. So yes. I'm not going to read the things <laughs> I need. I need the experts to explain it to me. And so, like, the thing is, is that I, I saw this like monolithic blob in my mind 
of like some kind of bill is going to be made by the Dems. I don't know what's going on. It has something to do with a debt limit. People are saying words like continuing, continuing resolution. That's it. Yeah, that's that's a word. Yeah, Yeah. they're saying words like reconciliation, and I'm like, these are a lot of words, man. Not my kind of thing. But we have a breakdown here to help everyone, you know, including myself, understand what's going on. Right. So, so what are these bills? Number one, you've got the infrastructure bill. That's the, you know, real infrastructure. Not the Democrats' fake human infrastructure where they just call whatever they want to call infrastructure. This is like, you know, repairing roads and bridges and stuff. Um, So, you know, Politico has a report out. You know, Pelosi uh, has set the infrastructure vote um, as Dem leaders struggled to unify the caucus. Uh, The announcement uh, delays the vote to Thursday, uh, three days past the date that the speaker promised a group of moderates in August. So, I mean, you know, we talked about this previously on the program. We knew that the moderates would, would cave on that deadline. And that's so I didn't even like this bill to begin with. And the problem is now that the the progressive wing is trying to tie all this stuff together. So so like the reconciliation bill, that's the three point four trillion dollar three point five. Three point oh three point five trillion dollar bill. It's basically like the progressive dem wish list. Every crazy thing they've wanted to do. It's like um uh Rahm Emanuel. Uh, would say, had that famous saying where he's like, never let a crisis go to waste. Right. And we're seeing that happen right here where, you know, build back better after this pandemic is here's a wish list of all the crazy stuff we wanted to rebuild society. You know, this is our like socialist, you know, wish list. It's a socialist takeover reconciliation bill. Well, yeah, and they've tried to put everything they could possibly think of into this bill. You know, you'll remember last week the parliamentarian ruled that they couldn't put amnesty in this bill. And people were shocked. It's like a reconciliation bill, for those of you who don't know, it's like if it doesn't impact, you know, the spending in the budget, like you, you can't put it in a reconciliation bill. Like that's the whole purpose. But all the Democrats on Capitol Hill were like, oh, my gosh, I am shocked. Yeah. This parliament, fire the parliamentarian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you hear that constantly whenever it doesn't go their way. They're like, oh, wow, we need to remove this. Well, they'll just make stuff up. That's the right. Thing. They just make stuff up. And and and, and you're bi- telling me what they did to kind of address that when they were told that there can't be uh, amnesty. They're just giving them money. Well, so, yeah, I mean, they're going to have to try to figure out some fix to be able to accomplish something similar to amnesty that will pass muster with a parliamentarian or what have you. Anyway. We don't know the details of that yet, but we will keep our eyes peeled for that. The thing that I found most interesting about the framing of this $3.5 trillion now as the Democrats start to, to figure out that they're losing, um, they're losing the public uh, opinion on this issue is that Biden has this tweet. My Build Back Better agenda costs $0 instead <laughs> of wasting money on tax breaks, loopholes, and tax evasion for big corporations and the wealthy. We can make a once in a generation investment in working America. And it's like, okay. What does that even mean? mean? You just have to laugh when you see it costs zero dollars. Right, 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 right. It's just fake. It's just fake. It's just completely fake. fake. It's an absolute lie. I mean, whether you pay for it or not, it still costs money. (laughs) Unless you believe that the government inherently has a right to your money from the moment that you earn it, it costs money. They have to raise revenue. Exactly. Right. Exactly. And that's a see. That's part of the whole gamble of why they're trying to like finagle this through. Right. They're trying to reframe it. Is none of them, especially not folks like Mansion and Cinema, none of them want to be on the hook for something that's going to end up costing you know Americans a ton of money, three and a half trillion dollars 
for a bunch of just socialist nonsense, just gobbledygook. It's an incredible, to, to use the Libs' favorite word, it's incredible gaslighting. Yeah. Incredible gaslighting. And so, uh, you know, speaking of those those big words I'd mentioned earlier, the situation as it stands right now is that, in theory, the government was shut down on Thursday. That's when funding would dry up. And so right. there's this thing called a continuing resolution, which would allow, you know, current spending levels, to, you know, essentially keep the lights on until, like, December. Right. right, right. And so the problem now is, so you've got these people in the mix. Like, you've got uh, Reb Jayapal, who wants to just, like, Thelma and Louise everything. Yes. Like, just, we'll just go off the cliff, hold yeah. your hands together. Leroy Jenkins style. Yeah. So, so what was what was her play? What's she doing over there? Well, so basically, um, you know, she's trying to mobilize a lot of these progressive senators to to the way that she sees things, which is that, you know, we need to pass the three point five trillion. Um, you know, they like the moderates are obviously holding out for this the in, hard infrastructure bill, but the issue when it comes to the debt limit gets really interesting because you know Schumer has basically gone on this PR offensive over the last few weeks, trying to make, you know, the media and the Democrats uh, focus around Mitch McConnell and say, well, you know, obviously Mitch McConnell needs to come to the table and provide <laughs> provide Republican votes for an increase in the debt limit when Democrats control the White House, the Senate, and the House. It's incredible. Right. And so McConnell has basically been like, no. And in fact, I, I told you back in the spring, no. I told you exactly what you needed to do to do it yourselves. So again, no. All right. And so now Axios has this story out saying Democrats, namely leadership, will likely have to do what they spent the last month vowing they wouldn't attach legislation that would increase the debt limit to their partisan reconciliation package. And that's a huge Yikes. win. for it Republicans. Is. Huge win. It is. It is. It's a huge, huge win. And I mean, it's because, number one, I mean, then the Democrats have to pass the debt ceiling increase on a party line vote. How are they actually going to pass the three point five trillion yep. when they have to get Cinema and Mansion to agree to that? They just cornered themselves completely. Right, right. And right. now, and now they have to deal with like Jay Paul wants to light it all on fire. You know, they can't get their ducks in a row at all. They're trying to again. It's this administration, pretty much the Dems, where they got crisis after crisis. All they know how to do is try to find someone to blame for their problems. And now it's all in their lap. Like we're gonna see. They have to get either the they have to get the continuing resolution because they can't even keep the lights on. Right. When the Dems are controlling the White House, the Senate, and the House. Well, it's just think about the fact that we have an inflation crisis in this country. We have an energy crisis in this country. We have a border crisis in this country. Failed withdrawal from Afghanistan. Any number of other things going on right now. And what do the Democrats want to do? They we have this like. 10-car pileup in one week where they're trying to transform the American economy rather than dealing with all of the issues that they already have to deal with, right? It's absurd. And that's the thing is, again, we kill this $3.5 trillion mess, and we got we got Biden as a lame duck before his first year is over. That's That'd be incredible. And then especially having that momentum going into the midterms, man, we would just— the, the Democrats are on the verge of such a huge defeat— that's going to just be, it's going to lead to the red wave we've been talking about. And deservedly so. I mean, look, they came in here with a razor-thin 50-50 Senate, right? The vice president has to cast the deciding vote, like a five-seat majority in the House. And the guy's governing, you know, like he's FDR. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he's got this mandate to transform the American economy. And it's like, pal, you don't. Anyway. We got to get into a, a topic I was really excited about to find. 
Folks, we're going to discuss candy corn. <sighs> Personal among, uh, you know, among Gross. my favorite Just foods. Just the most disgusting. How could someone not like candy corn? And plus, you know, now that summer is dead and gone, it's a wonderful fall treat. But there's so many wonderful, actual wonderful fall treats. Yeah. yeah not I, candy corn. Look, the, the Duncan household is divided on this. Oh. My wife loves candy corn. And in fact, uh, she is now into the second bag of candy corn of the fall. It's it's still September, folks. You, you chose that's well. Aggressive. You chose well. No, that's <laughs> that's, that's, that's how it should be she done. Lo- that's done well. She just overall loves fall. Pumpkin spiced anything. Yeah. We've already got some like um You mulling wine yet? We are not mulling wine yet, but we do have um we have pumpkins out. We have some fall garland. On, oh, that's uh, so cozy. Yeah, on the front of the house. Uh that was one of the big big errands this weekend around the Duncan house. But <laughs> my wife absolutely loves candy corn. I don't touch it. In fact, it, it actually makes for a better marriage, I would say, that your the candies you like are different than what your spouse likes. Oh, that's actually yeah. pretty smart. You know, so but you, you don't have to share. You never walk in there and, you, yeah. say, you know, you, you, maybe I like uh, peanut M&M's. Those are mine. It's kind of genius. You know, she likes her candy corn. So, so this specific one I found, I think you should snag a bag. You see it in the wild, get you some points with the missus. Brock's is releasing... Turkey dinner plus apple pie plus coffee candy corn. That sounds disgusting. It's I mean, incredible. It's so Absolutely disgusting. disgusting. We should do so a taste excited. test here. Yes. We should. We, we, On air. We got to find a bag of this. Because that's incredible. Find a bag. You know what it sort of reminds me of? Those sci fi movies where there's like a little pill and you put it in the microwave and you, you know, press a button and it's like. A big turkey dinner, you know. Did, didn't Willy Wonka have one of those? Uh, I think candies? so. That's you know like what? That's whole, what the, the right. whole meal. That's and what like, I'm oh, thinking. Oh, now of. the second course is on the way. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, how do you accomplish that? This is like this is actual breakthrough. Science. This is ingenuity, right do you, here. Smug, do you eat this just plain, or do you add like some people mix it with like popcorn and all these other things? Do you just eat candy corn just plain? I I, I enjoy it plain, but uh, great point to bring up. The best way, in my opinion, to enjoy candy corn is is throw it in with some peanuts. Oh, Penis okay. and candy corn, incredible mix. Huh. Hmm. Shout out Freddie Ford for that tip. He taught me that years ago, and man, that's that's an absolute staple of fall for me. Oh, well, <laughs> I will I will not be getting. I that. will not be partaking either. <laughs> and now to seg into something that is actually bad, and and I, I told folks I'd be sprinkling these in from time to time. It's my it's like the smug China hawk segment, where uh, yeah. there, there's important news. Coming out of China that I think folks should be aware of. Number one, I, I'm sure a lot of folks have already heard about this. China has pretty much banned cryptocurrencies. Uh, you know, the crackdown had started a while ago. You saw a lot of the miners and a lot of, you know, folks who worked in cryptocurrency started getting out of China. Uh, but now th- they've completely clamped down. There's been this pattern lately where the Chinese government is really trying to get a handle uh, domestically, whether that means uh, a lot of their mega companies. Uh, they want to make sure that the mega companies all know that China is the boss. The Communist Party of China is the boss, uh, which is why you see, you know, like Jack Ma isn't really seen in public. Right. Yeah, yeah, right. That's so weird. It's it's horrifying. It's the tension. Yeah. It's the tension between an authoritarian communist regime and them trying to have this parallel track of some sort of command and control capitalism. Bingo. Right. Bingo. Like it's impossible to do those those two things. And of course, like you know, a communist government you know, that wants tight control, I assume, over their central bank is not going to like the idea of a cryptocurrency. Exactly. And that, you know, <laughs> that leads perfectly into the second part I wanted to get into is folks might have heard about uh, the Evergrande situation where it's the world's most indebted property developer. Uh, they have over $300 billion in debt. And, you know, initially they were just like a residential property developer and, and they've gone into like 
anything they can think of developer, like making electric cars. Uh, they bought a soccer team, and for that soccer team, they're building, I, w- I want to say it's like $1.7 billion stadium Jeez. shaped like a giant lotus. <laughs> um, and so they're like, wait a minute, guys. Uh, I think we spent too much on our credit card. Uh, but here's where it becomes a really big problem is, you know, you've got over $300 billion in debt, including a lot of investment from overseas. This is not all Chinese investors. Right. And, you know, a lot of folks are comparing this to kind of like a Lehman situation hmm. because you've got all these businesses are tied together. You know, you'll have uh, investment firms overseas that have invested money in this developer that's now having a hard time keeping up with their bills. They had uh, a, a debt payment that was due. A couple of debt payments that are due last week. They could only make one of them. They're negotiating the second one. They have another, I want to say it's like around $100 million coming up due. Yikes. And they've already put out word that, hey, we're having a hard time keeping our bills paid. And like I said, they, they've got, I want to say maybe, I mean, they've got thousands and thousands of property developments. Wow. Right? This is a way. This is a bigger thing than Lehman. Like, there's the size of this problem would be bigger than Lehman. So, so, but with with Lehman Brothers, we let them go belly up. That's and see, that's the that's the problem that the Chinese government has right here, is they took some measures to try to get some liquidity into the banking system. Uh, But the thing is, is that Evergrande reportedly owes money. It says here to around 171 domestic banks. And 121 other financial firms overseas. So, Ooh, so the problem so is tied what, up everywhere. So then what just happens? Things just collapse? That's the thing is like the Chinese government is, again, trying to assert, hey, we're in total control. Um, but if they let this place go belly up like we did Lehman, they're going to have all these problems because there are millions of jobs in, ti- in China tied to this. Because when this company is spending like a drunken sailor to build property developments and $2 billion soccer stadiums, okay, that's creating a lot of jobs for people in construction. Right. That's creating a lot of jobs for people to put yeah. restaurants there in, in cities because there's a lot of construction that the construction guys can... Smug, are you at. saying that they're too big to fail? They just might be. <laughs> I mean, we create is, some moral hazard here? That's the problem is like, you know, if, if, you, if the Chinese government bails these out, then like there's this is a huge problem across the Chinese economy. Something like 30% of their GDP is related to like uh, construction right. and, and, and property. It's insane. Well, I saw a, a video on, on Twitter last week of a bunch of residential apartment complexes being just demoed. Yep. Like eight huge um, uh, apartment buildings. Yep. And, you know, one of the big problems here is when you combine a very speculative industry like real estate and, and development with a centrally planned economy, you're bound to have some big mistakes like that yeah and it's it's kind of like how when we had the subprime uh crisis here in the u.s uh where people ended up being overextended they couldn't pay you know their mortgages right because the lending policies were 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 so loose what's happening in china is they're having people are no longer you know demand for residential property is going down well for like a decade you've had these property developers spending as much money as humanly possible to build as many units right so now you've got like you've got entire Supply, cities right. Sup- that are just uninhabited. Ghost cities. Ghost cities. Supply has far outstripped demand. Totally. And yeah. now now the bills are due. Right. So keep an eye on you that know, carnage. What it reminds me of in um oh, what's the name of that? Uh the big short. Yeah. yeah. You know in the big short and they they are uh whoever the guy was Steve Carell's character or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um they're looking to invest um you know, basically to take take the opposite position of all the big banks on all of this, these distressed assets. And they're like, 
they go down to Florida to get some ground truth, right? Like, let's find out how bad the real estate market actually is. And they go to these, um, you know, suburban um, developments and it's a ghost town and there's an alligator in the swimming pool and nobody lives in the houses. And it's just like, you could see like tumbleweed rolling by. Right. But that's, 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 what's, that's this? what's happening on a, on a massive scale. Yeah. Massive scale. Not still. good. Not good. Keep an eye on that folks. Something else to keep an eye out for is apparently beavers folks. Oh my God. Beavers. <laughs> Breaking news from the daily caller. So a man nearly dies after being attacked by a beaver in Massachusetts. Here's the story. It says, the beaver started on my leg. I never saw him. I thought it was some weird mutant lake trout. He surfaced near my head and grabbed my head. He went to bite my head. I punched him a couple times. I just had to take the licking and get to shore. By the time I got to shore, I was exhausted. If I had to swim 10 more yards, I would have drowned. If he had come on shore, he would have finished me. I would not have been able to fight him off. He would have finished killing me. I I believe this. I learned from Charlie Hurt many years ago that beavers are very, very vicious. I mean, they chop down trees with their teeth. Yeah, right. These are not to be messed with. No, no. You're saying you couldn't take a beaver? I I, I mean, you could not take it. It depends on the situation. So, in this story, the guy is 73 years old. Right. My takeaway is does anyone here think Joe Biden could take a beaver? Hands down. No No chance. chance. No No chance, chance, right? No chance. Especially in a situation like this where it seems like he was in, in water. Right. Like, so he's already at a, 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 disadvantage, a disadvantage when it comes to combat here. Right. Like you're in their environment. They know how to fight there. I mean, you immediately lose the advantage. Yeah. I, Joe's got no shot. I got more faith in uh, Hunter. I think, you know, he's got more of a shot in that department. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let that. Lie. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, speaking of Joe Biden, um, there's some new polling out by Pew here that says, uh, when it comes to sta- standing up for what he believes in, Biden has his best numbers, uh, 60% net, uh, very well, uh, fairly well, 39% not at all well, not too well. But where he really struggles is in the category of mentally sharp. Only 43% of voters think very well or fairly well. 56% say not well at all or not too well. I mean, that really just tells me that 43% of people will lie to themselves. Like, that is just... <laughs> what I want to know... Like, yeah, he's mentally sharp. What, what I want to know is, like, that delta, you know, between <laughs> people who think, like, he is not mentally sharp, but still think he stands up for what he believes in. Like, his his brain not, might not work. <laughs> his brain not, might not work, but I think I think he thinks he's standing up for what he thinks he thinks he believes. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, man, it's well, we good. Had, we had a little bit of candy. I said we get a whole lot more candy. We should play a game. You want to play a game? Play a game. Wow. Um, I think we should play Claim to Fame. Let's I am here it. for my first Claim to Fame. Let's go. Excellent. Let's Let's hit that music. Don't you know who I am? Remember my name. Claim! Brainworm takes forever. You're going to like my post. Most! I feel engagement forever. Broken brain takes with no shame. Queen! Hot takes up to 11. Saving Joe Biden from blame. Queen! It's gonna live forever. Ronnie, remember my name. Remember, 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 remember.
Oh, so great. Is it weird, Hen? Yeah, it's weird it's listening weird. to your yeah, voice on the song? I have a little PTSD from that because <laughs> yeah. it was so high right out of the gate. Those first couple notes were really challenging. I really feel like that's the best theme song. I mean, that is just next level. Was, and the writing was so good. Yeah, so that's good. true. Um, well, so for, for Hen's uh, purposes here, because she's never really played the game, let me explain the rules. Yes, thank it's you. It's kind of similar to Demer Journo. Um, I'm going to read four tweets. You have to guess the tweet that Ron Klain, White House Chief of Staff, did not retweet. Okay. So of the four, three he retweeted, one he did not. You have to guess the one he did not retweet. Okay. Now, um, we were maybe going to try to play this game last week, uh, but we didn't. And the reason why we didn't was that you know, Politico had this article where they basically were like, you know, Jen Rubin is a Ron Klain super fan. You know, she tweets stuff that he always RTs. And Ron Klain, you know, responding to that article and probably a lot of our cyberbullying. It's 100% let's let's bullying. be quite honest. We put it on the radar. Um, he kind of, uh, he toned it down. Huh. He toned it down wow. for a little bit. Well... He's back. He's back. He's yeah. back. He can't stay away for too long. The heart wants what it wants. Yeah, he just exactly. loves the crazy taste. <laughs> exactly. Not only that, but he has a new champion, and it's not Jen Rubin. It's wild. It's Max Boot. <laughs> With Maximum Boot. Maximum Boot. So we have a Maximum Boot. Oh, my gosh. Claim to fame. All of these tweets are from Max this Boot. This is no going to be kidding. hard. Yes. This is going to be really hard. That's how ham Ron Klain has gone. <laughs> so... so to be clear, three of these he for sure retweeted. Yes. He retweeted Maximum Boot at least three times. Yes. And, oh my. Yes. <clears throat> so, man. I feel like I need to take <laughs> notes. Okay. I'm telling you, Klain listens to the show. Uh, I know for a fact folks in the White House listen to the show and they get irate about it. But I know Klain listens because the fact that he went with Maximum Boot, he must listen to like our King of the Hills and be like, all right, this guy sounds great. He's out of his mind. Do you think <laughs> it's like Maximum it, Boot? It's like recruiting for him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like no man we're making fun of them okay um well let's get right into it here uh tweet number one again max boot biden is doing a lot more to make immigration policy humane than progressives who sloganeer about abolishing ice have ever done but he gets no credit my latest and then he links to his. okay Tweet number two. This is not Trump redux. The previous president carried out inhumane policies because he wanted to deter more arrivals, but also because, as, as Adam Swerver says, the cruelty is the point. Biden, by contrast, expressed horror at the way Haitians were treated. Okay. All right. I can't imagine actually believing these things and then tweeting them, but continue. <laughs> Tweet number, again, this is Max Boot. I just can't get over it. Isn't it crazy? Um, Max Boot, again, Biden is being excoriated for returning some of the migrants back to Haiti. You would never know that all of the criticism that far more migrants are being allowed to remain here for now, 12,400, than are being sent home, 2,000. Such an incredible tweet. Tweet number four. If abuses occurred against Haitian migrants, they were contrary to the president's intent, not in compliance 
with it as under Trump. That's a big difference. Man. Could you reread number four? If abuse has occurred against Haitian migrants, I'm assuming they're referring to the fake, 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 whipping. fake whipping thing. If abuse has occurred against Haitian migrants, they were contrary to the president's intent, not in compliance with it, as under Trump. That's a big difference. Man. Again, these are all Max Boot. It's also like in, in <laughs> it's all in the period of like one day. Jeez, how do you even start to narrow them down? All right, so I think I know which one. I think I didn't know. Get the retweet. I think I know one that definitely got retweeted. I'm gonna look away, Hen. You tell you, you, you signal to Duncan which one you think. <laughs> well, so or not. or you guys could team up. Remember, this is her first time. Oh yeah. Oh, sure. look at that. I'm, I'm gonna allow That's you guys. Generous. To, I'm gonna allow you guys to team up. You know, I just don't want to throw her to the wolves here. That's so sweet. Okay, so I'll, you know what? Why don't you guys talk it out? I'll, I'll talk it out a little. Okay. I got I got uh, a lot to say about number three. Uh, can you read read that one? Sure thing. Biden is being excoriated for returning some of the migrants back to Haiti. You would never know. You would never know from all of the criticism that far more migrants are being allowed to remain here for now, twelve thousand four hundred, than are being sent home, two thousand. Okay, so full admission, I had this one sent to me. So I know Ooh. for a fact it's a clean retweet. It's stunningly insane. Wait, so did the person That's sending sending did the person sending it to you be like, Clean. "Oh my God, Ron Klein retweeted this"? <laughs> exactly, <laughs> because the content of the tweet is insane. It's like it's saying point blank, these these people are being released illegally into the U.S. Right, thumbs <laughs> it's, up Joe Biden. It's, it's admitting that they're like, "Oh no, you know what? In fact, amnesty is good, and we're going to do more of it." Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. They're like, many people are accusing Biden of not being pro amnesty. This is amnesty, folks. <laughs> Gets the clean retweet. Yeah, that's so wild. Like, wow. Wow. Incredible. Well, so Smug helped you there. That Well, so I thought that I saw number two get retweeted as well. Oh, wow. But I'm also not sure if I just saw, you know, your Twitter timeline. I'm not sure if I saw other people talking about it or in the context of clean actually okay, so, retweeting so, it. So tweet number two again is, this is not Trump redux. The previous president carried out inhumane policies because he wanted to deter, deter more arrivals, but also because... As Adam Swerver says, the cruelty is the point. Biden, by contrast, expressed horror at the way Haitians were treated. See, I thought that was, I actually thought that might be the one the that one didn't, didn't get retweeted. That did not? Did not. Because the way that he phrased it, it says almost like Trump tried to deter illegal immigration. And, and conversely, Biden wants to encourage, encourage it. You know? So, I mean, I <laughs> think that to, would step but, on any kind of a message that, but, like, we're but actually the problem is, what is the Biden message on immigration? Bingo. Like, yeah. you know, like, do we actually know what their message is? No I mean, horses. The, it, it, that's all I've learned. That's the only policy. No horses. Only policy decision they've actually made. Yeah. And sending Kamala a thousand miles away from the actual border crisis. Right. The, the supposed borders are. And she's like, do not come. Well, I mean, he, you've got Klain retweeting these things that, like, actually. Saying, no, do come and we'll let you in. Yeah, Biden yeah. is just releasing them. <laughs> It's amazing. Oh, man. All right, so that was your... So I was thinking it was number four, but you think number two. And, and that's the problem is number four and two are similar. Yeah. Because they're kind of like, oh, Trump was bad. He tried to discourage right. illegal immigration. Conversely, Biden tries to encourage it. So, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll write on four. No, 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 no. That, no, no, that well, makes me You want me to just read, read four one more time? Yeah, read four one more time. <clears throat> if abuses occurred against Haitian migrants, they were contrary to the president's intent, not in compliance with it as under Trump. That's a big difference. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with four. Hen said to go with four. Oh, gosh. That's a lot of pressure for my first game. Final answer? 
Okay, Lock we'll, it in. Finally. Okay, we'll go for it. Okay. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Okay, so number four was RT'd by wow. Ron Clay. Dang it! It was. Wow. Was it number two? That it was wasn't? number two. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> I must have seen somebody else retweet. Yeah, it's possible. That, like it just showed up in my timeline, so I think I probably just assumed. Well, let's just admit they're all crazy. Yeah. And and <laughs> the fact that he now has Max Boot, I want to see, you know, next King of the Hill, we should have like a, a, a special claim, Jen versus Max Boot, because now that's a brewing rivalry. Oh, yeah. Jen's got to be like, oh, my God. Like, I wrote the craziest takes. I can't Ron, lose the you're going to do me like yeah. this? <laughs> Just keep one-upping each other. Uh, if Jen Rubin, if you're listening, Ron Klain is cheating on you. <laughs> you have to do better. It's maximum boot time. Incredible. It's great stuff. Let's play, that, let's play that song again. Don't you know who I am? Remember my name. Klain! Brainworm takes forever. You're going to like my post. Post! I feel engagement forever. Broken brain takes with no shame. Clean! Hot takes up to 11. Saving Joe Biden from blame. Clean! It's gonna live forever. Ronnie, remember my name. Remember, remember, remember. Oh, what a what a game! That's a great game. I'll have to do better next time. Sorry, Smug. One last uh, topic I want to jump on before we get to that interview. Okay, I forgot to mention it earlier, and it's been uh, you know a lot of minions has been on their radar. A couple who work in the energy industry have been uh, discussing it too, uh, folks. There's right now a massive energy problem happening globally, and it's going to become so much worse uh, in the winter. There, there's this tweet from uh, Michael MBD on. Uh, on Twitter, where he said, can someone explain to me why a bunch of modern countries are starting to put out little signals to the public that they may not have energy this winter? Oh, Michael Brendan Doherty. Michael yeah. Brendan Doherty. Yeah. Um, I have to say that tweet terrified me as someone who gets very cold in the winter. And it's, <laughs> and it's, uh, it's on the nose. It's important. Um, currently in Britain, they've got gas lines and they have a massive oil shortage right now in Britain. I just saw that. And uh, all of Europe is having a massive energy crisis. You know, the... the the most important thing to remember is this is in the backdrop of Joe Biden shutting down Keystone XL. Right. And basically handing the keys to European energy to Russia. Yeah. With, with Nord Stream. It's so funny. It's like the only thing that's going to get uh, the rest of Europe out from underneath this is Vladimir Putin. Thanks to Joe Biden. Yep. <laughs> the, the, so this article in Bloomberg discusses it. Uh, Europe's energy crisis is coming for the rest of the world, too. It says this winter, the world will be fighting over something that's invisible, yet rarely so vital and in an alarmingly shorter supply. The crisis in Europe presages trouble for the rest of the planet as the continent's energy shortage has government's warning of blackouts and factories being forced to shut. And again, it goes back to uh, China. The world's biggest buyer of natural gas hasn't filled stockpiles fast enough, even though imports are almost double what they were last year. Several Chinese provinces are already rationing electricity to industries to meet President Xi's targets for energy efficiency and pollution reduction. A power crisis could exacerbate shutdowns if authorities divert gas to light and heat households. And that's, I mean, they're like, yes, we, we will put it towards industry instead of keeping people having right. electricity. It's and terrifying. Heat. And uh, if Chinese factories have to contend with widespread power shortages, global prices for steel and aluminum will jump. Again, this goes back to, you know, our sponsor had mentioned uh, we need to stop having such reliance on China and foreign industry. Like, right. look at what has happened to our supply chains in the wake of this pandemic. Um, so in Europe, you look at European energy prices, they have over tripled 
uh, in the past months. Nice. So, you know. So what do we Thanks need to Joe do? Biden for shutting down the Stock pipeline. Stock up on firewood for now? I mean, isn't that something? Like the Biden presidency. It's like a dystopia. I know. Yeah. You, you know, at the grocery store, everything's more expensive. Now we're going to have firewood to keep us warm. It's incredible. Jeez. I do have to say, though, if something like that happens, I, Duncan's going to be prepared. So Duncan's I'm going to be staying at totally. Duncan's house for that for sure. He's got candy corn. Yeah. He's got fuel. Yeah. He's, he's got, have he's got weaponry. He's, he's going he's to survive the whole thing, and I'm, I'll be living in his basement. <clears throat> wow. <laughs> well, um, we have a great interview today. Jane Timken, who's running for U.S. Senate in Ohio. I think we should get right to it. I want to welcome to the program Jane Timken. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Sure thing. Um, so you're running for U.S. Senate in, in Ohio right now, but, but before... Um, you entered this race, you, you ran the Ohio Republican Party. I'm curious, what were some of the biggest challenges running a state party in a state that's so large um, and important, especially in presidential politics? Yeah, well, um, you, as you know, um, I just a little background. I grew up in Cincinnati. Um, I was a lawyer. I'm actually the granddaughter of Irish immigrants, and uh, my mother actually came here from Scotland. Um, I've been practicing law, and I back in 2010 when Obama passed Obamacare, I said I can't sit on the sidelines, and I started getting involved in local party politics. Became the vice chair of our party. And I got an inside view of how the Ohio Republican Party was being run. And back in 2016, our state party pulled away from the nominee, Donald Trump. There were a lot of divisions. And so I stood up and I became, ran for chair of the party against John Kasich's handpicked chair. People told me not to do it. They said, you're going to be running into a buzzsaw. And I said, watch me. And so uh, actually, President Trump backed me to become the chair. And when I was became chair, the first thing I had to do was unify the party. We had a lot of divisions, had to bring a lot of people together. Um, and then, you know, doing all the real hard work to get Republicans elected is that you need to be out there knocking doors, making phone calls, uh, you know, operating the grassroots, getting people engaged, um, and, you know, we had to raise money. We had to be on the road. I put 150,000 miles on my car traveling Ohio. Um, we had challenges uh, just to make sure that we had good candidates. Um, and uh, there was times back in 2018, we had a special congressional election that was a tight race. Um, but I'm a big believer in bringing a good team together and everyone, you know, rowing in the same direction to deliver results. And we, you know, swept our statewides in 2018. We kept our congressional delegation. Um, and then we had some challenges with our um, in uh, our state house in 2020, but we overcome came those and proudly delivered Ohio for President Trump by eight and a half points. And we had a really good, secure election, too. And so I, I'm proud of all my accomplishments, for what I did for the party. But it's been a lot of fun. And running for the Senate is just as much fun. <laughs> well, you know, and you spoke a little a little bit about the divisions within the party and having to bring all of those people together. Um, do you find that similar when you're running, you know, in this race now for U.S. Senate? Because obviously the one difference you have in, in this uh, race that you didn't when you were state parties, you got primary opponents, right? <laughs> so, um, you know, how, what has been the biggest difference, that, that transition from running a state party to running now in a, in a U.S. Senate primary that you've seen? 
Sure. I mean, when you're a candidate, it's obviously different than being chair. Um, the nice thing is you have your own voice. You can, you know, form your own opinions. Um, and there's a lot of similarities. Uh, you, you've got to be traveling the state. You've got to be out with the, you know, the good Republican Party folks who are throwing Lincoln Day dinners and picnics. I did that as chair. Um, and so, look, Ohio is the kind of state that to win, you have to be present. You have to show up um, and ask for people's vote. And so that's what I'm doing. And uh, it's it's critically important. You can't phone it in. You can't spend your time, you know, outside of the state to win. You've got to really be there. Um, being a candidate, obviously, you're more in the spotlight, um, but I, I'm having a good time. We yesterday or actually Saturday, we did a big day of action. Um, we had people all across the state knocking doors, making phone calls. And we are the only campaign that's doing it. And uh, we hit half a million voter contacts by this weekend. So these are the things that are foundations to win a, an election in Ohio. And right. I know how to win. I feel, I feel like you that's sort of a, an advantage for you having run, you know, the state party is that you you really have that infrastructure and that institutional knowledge in in how to uh, mobilize, you know, activists and voters across the state. Right. And, uh, you know, I have good relationships with people across the state of Ohio. Um, over 160 Republican leaders have endorsed me because they trust my leadership. They've seen me in action, take issues on, tackle these issues and solve problems. And that's the kind of skills that you need if you're going to be a senator. You need to be able to address issues, bring people together and solve problems and get things done. Awesome. So you've obviously been traveling the state a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and so you've been talking to a lot of voters. And, you know, I assume a lot of them bring up a lot of the failures of the Biden administration, whether that's COVID, the withdrawal from Afghanistan, you know, reopening schools, the border, inflation, all of those sorts of things. I'm just kind of curious, what do you hear the most from voters, you know, when you're talking to them across the state? Yeah, I, I, they are talking about the border. Uh, they're talking about inflation. Uh, they're talking about just the unmitigated failures of the Biden administration. And, and I will tell you, I am seeing people, it's motivating them. The events I've gone to, I've seen record crowds because people are standing up and saying, whoa, what is going on? Um, I've talked to people, lots of moms who have been really concerned about what's happening in the schools. And they say, I've never been political, but I'm getting involved. I'm going to run for school board. I'm concerned about uh, the curriculum and, you know, CRT in schools. A lot of people are well aware of what's happening at the border. And, you know, someone said to me one time, well, why does Ohio care about the border? You're not a border state. And I said, oh, no, we had record overdoses in Ohio in 2020. And we have been at the forefront of a lot of the opioid epidemic and the human trafficking epidemic. Epidemic. And so that's hitting Ohio's communities. They're talking about that. Um, and it, I think people were really devastated by what happened in Afghanistan. And we we lost one of our own Ohioans um, in Afghanistan and that terrible day when we lost our 13 um, men and women in, in uniform. And it's it impacted people. They're very concerned that this country's left safe because of Joe Biden and the Democrats and their failures. And so people are very concerned and they they want a, I, I can tell you and you see it in the polls. They want a change of leadership now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
Um, so, you know, obviously you're running in, in a, you know, competitive Republican primary right now. There's a lot of candidates. I'm curious, you know, when you are talking to voters and they're like, oh, gosh, well, you know, I'm thinking about these other candidates. I'm thinking about you. What do you think is is your great competitive advantage? What do you, what do you tell voters? Um, you know, what is your your core message to voters when you're saying, hey, vote for me? Right. Well, in a Republican primary, I, my message is, hey, I'm the one that's been in the trenches. I'm the one that's been fighting for you and our conservative cause. Um, I'm not a Johnny come lately. I didn't just show up. I have been in this fight and I'm going to fight for you. People want someone who's going to stand up. And I have been that proven fighter and I've gotten things done and, and, and delivered. And so people want someone who's been that fighter, who has also accomplished things for the conservative cause. And that's, that's me. And um, I, as I said earlier, I have these endorsements from Republican leaders because they trust me to lead. And um, I think that's an effective message. And it's all about that America first agenda that people, it, hey, it was working for this country. It was working for Ohio. We had energy independence. We had a secure border. We were strong on foreign policy. Um, and before the pandemic, we had record low unemployment. So people want that. And those, you know, the great experiment of tax cuts um, and a booming economy was working. So that's what people want now. Awesome. Awesome. Um, so we always end these interviews with three questions. Um, number one uh, is your last meal on earth. What would it be? And you can be creative with this. You know, you can pick you know, like almost like a cafeteria, a little this, little that, whatever you want to do. So yeah. last meal on earth, what would it be? Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm on the road all the time. I'm a, you know, almost 55 year old. So I'm always trying to watch what I eat. And, and quite frankly, on the campaign trail, I, I think we live on coffee and kind bars. Um, so, you know, I, I, but in terms of food, so I, I was trying to figure out what I would want as my last meal. So Thanksgiving dinner would be a big one for me. I, and I, I, you know, it's not all about the turkey. It's about the sides. It's the mashed potatoes. And we're a roasted Brussels sprout family. Everyone likes them except my husband. He hates them, but I love him. My sister and I love them. Um, so, and then I make a mean pie and I'd love to eat pie. Um, and then if I can add more food, I'm going to, cause I mean, who cares, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't have to watch my weight. Um, so my mom's mocha chocolate cake is delicious. It was like the perfect chocolate with like this coffee icing. It was awesome. And then, um, you know, the best pizza in Ohio is this place. I recommend this to you. If you're, if you come to Cleveland, it's mama Santos pizza. It's very good. I mean, I, it is the best. So, awesome. and then after that, I'd have a giant stomach ache. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. I, I too love Thanksgiving. And you know what I love most about Thanksgiving is the leftovers. Um, yes. Are you a big left? So, so when you've got Thanksgiving leftovers, though, are you like a, like a turkey sandwich? Are you a, you dump the mashed potatoes and everything sort of mishmash? What do you, what's your go-to leftover meal the day after Thanksgiving? Well, I, you know, I love all the leftovers. I love to eat all the sides and everything. Um, we try to make potato pancakes. That doesn't even work. Um, my son got creative last Thanksgiving and made a stuffing waffle. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. That's oh, yeah. It was, it, it was interesting. It worked. <laughs> so 
question number two, if you weren't in you know, public service, if you weren't in politics, um, what would you be doing with your life? Well, I'm 5'2", so I would not be playing in the NBA, and that was never in the cards for me. Um, you know, I've been an athlete, so, you know, I played rugby in college, and which was a lot of fun, and I think it helped me um, in the political world. I can handle the mud, and I know how to tackle Democrats, um, so uh, that, I, I don't think I could be a professional rugby player either. Um, look, if I didn't get into politics, I'd probably still be practicing law. I've always sort of fantasized about being a prosecutor. Um, I'd still be involved in a lot of community service. And, um, you know, I was very active in a lot of organizations. Um, I, I, as I said, I'm not the kind of person who sits on the sidelines. And if I see something that's wrong, I will step up. Um, so besides, you know, all those childhood fantasies of, you know, being a superstar at something, uh, you know, I, as an athlete, as a soccer player, it, you know, I just, um, I know when you're five, two, you can't be a professional athlete. It's <laughs> a good answer. Um, and then our final question, and we, we end every interview with this is what motivates you more, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And I can explain this a little bit. That thrill of victory is your, your eternal optimist, right? Like somebody is really motivated by success and su success begets success. Agony of defeat person is someone who hates to lose. And that hating to lose motivates them. Think of like Michael Jordan, right? Yeah. Um, wh wh which is it for you? Well, you know, I hate to lose. And you always want, you know, as I said, I was an athlete. You always want to leave it all out on the field. And if you could just do one more thing to win, you would do it. And so that's kind of been my determined philosophy. Like you just keep fighting every day. Um, and that's, you know, as I was, I was a geek in high school, I, you know, I just study one more in an hour, I'll, I'll get an A. Um, so that's kind of motivated me, but also being an athlete, there's nothing like winning. And when you get that thrill of the game that you won or, you know, being party chair, when we won some of those races, it was just awesome. But I, I've still, the real motivation is you don't want to fail. You got to <laughs> get out there and you, you, you know, you don't want to let people down and you want to um, work hard every day. And, and, and you just can't say, um, well, if I, I got to get in this, I've got to fight every day. And so that's my motivator. You know, it's that, it, it's that fear of failure. Yeah. Yeah. No, Hey, I get it. Uh, well, I thought I want to thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate thank you. It. Uh, we wish you the best of luck on the trail. It was fun. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Take care. Oh, so she's pretty great, you know, and I guess what I really liked about talking to her is, you know, she ran the state party in, in Ohio, um, you know, so she knows how to build a campaign infrastructure. She knows how to build, you know, consensus with people from across the state and all that sort of stuff. I guess I just really respect that also. She played rugby. That's what I was going to say. That was an interesting fact. Yeah. That I was not expecting. Well, and so she was she was telling me I, it, it didn't it didn't make the the interview. She was telling me right at the end before we, you know, we signed off um that when they played rugby in college, they had to do fingernail checks on all of the girls. Yeah. You know, because you'd be in a scrum and come out be like with a like, weapon. like a claw, yeah. claw mark down your yeah. down your cheek. So she's hardcore. Yeah, that game is brutal. Yeah. Anybody who plays that game is yes. legit. Right, <laughs> right. So 
um, anyway, she was great. Um, thank you to Jane Timken for coming on. Thanks again to our sponsor, Common Sense Leadership Fund. Great stuff today, guys. Absolutely. Great episode. Yeah, Thanks so much, fun. Hollywood Hen. Yes, Hollywood really? Hen. Filling fun. in. I'm trying my best. Episode. So another banger of an episode. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to all our many listeners. So until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless. <laughs>